morning. We're glad you're here today. And we are always thankful to have visitors with us, and today's no exception. We're glad that you're here. We want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. It might be, as we say from week to week, that you're looking for a church home. And I would encourage you to consider the work here at Olive Branch. I think that you will find us a friendly, loving congregation, and we would love to have you as a part of the work here. We're going to be looking today at the book of Mark, and I would encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10 as we look at verses 17 through 22. We're going to be talking about the young man who seemed to have everything. I want to begin today by asking the question, have you ever known someone that in your mind had everything? I mean, they literally had everything. They had a good job, money in the bank. They drove or drive a nice automobile, wear fine clothes. Everything seems to just be going so well. In short, they have everything. I suspect that many of us have known people that in our mind, they had everything. And there are a lot of people like that. We live in a wealthy country, by far and away the wealthiest of all the nations on planet Earth. And yet there are a lot of people that seem to have everything but have nothing. I want to introduce you to a young fellow today, a young man that from one vantage point seemed to have everything, but then on the other hand had nothing. I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I want to begin by first of all calling attention to the fact that this young man seemed to have everything. Let me begin by talking for a moment or two about his <clears throat> status, his dignified status in life. There are a number of things that this fellow had in life that many of us would probably be envious of. I would begin by calling attention to the fact that Matthew tells us in his account that he was young. Now, if you're young, you probably can't appreciate the fact that you're young. The reason I say that is because when I was young, I had no idea what a great blessing it was to have youth on my side. I have said before, and believe it to be the case, that those of you who are young, you will one day be where I am because I was once where you are today. There's a lot to be said about youth. You ever thought about you can't buy it? You can't trade for it? I read an interesting story not long ago and went back and re-looked at this story. Many of you have probably heard of T. Boone Pickens. He is a great benefactor of Oklahoma State University. 
He is worth over a billion dollars. He spoke at his grandson's commencement not long ago, a graduation for high school seniors. And he said he told those 18-year-old young people, he said, I would gladly trade everything I have today to be where you are. And they asked the question, would you trade? He said, you can have my plane, you can have my wealth, you can have my ranch, you can have it all. Now we understand that's not possible. But I think to some extent, Mr. Pickens understood and understands the great value of being young. You know, David said on one occasion, I was young and now I'm old. When you get to be older in life, you'll appreciate that more. There's a second thing that I want to call attention to. Not only was this fella young, but he was wealthy. He was rich. Luke tells us in his account that he was a rich, young ruler. Imagine if you can, not only being young, but being wealthy. It's amazing to me some of the young people around our country that are millionaires because of their ability to sing or act or play sports. They have more money than they know what to do with. A lot to be said for wealth in life. There's a third thing that I want to call attention to, and that is the fact that this young man was a man of power. Luke tells us that he was a ruler. Now, begin combining all these things together. He was young, he was rich, and he was powerful. Somebody might say, what more could a person want? I mean, from our vantage point, he literally had it all, didn't he? I mean, if you were to, if you were to, to, to just take a poll and say, what are three things that you wish you could have above any and every, every other thing? A lot of people would say, I'd like to be young again, I'd like to have a lot of money, and I'd like to be powerful. That's what this guy had. He had it all. And then there is a fourth component to his dignified status, and that is he was morally sound. He was a good guy. Listen, if you would, to the exchange that Mark records. It says, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. So we would infer from that that from a moral vantage point, this was a good guy. I mean, he was a cut above a lot of young people. But then there's something else I want you to see as we think about this young man. 
We talk about his status, his dignified status in life. Let me direct your attention to his determined search in life. In verses 17 and 18, we find this young man running to Jesus, asking him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? There are two things here. It's my conviction that this young fella asked the two most compelling, well, he asked really the most compelling question that could be asked in life. But there are a couple of things about this question that maybe we need to consider. First of all, he asked the most profound question, life's most profound question. There are a lot of questions that you might ask. You might ask young and old alike certain questions that you think are important. But I want to ask you today, what is more important than asking what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You find that phrase on numerous occasions throughout Scripture, in numerous places. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the people that had been convicted hearing the gospel for the first time said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? This, this young man asked life's most profound question. But then he also asked life's most personal question. Notice if you would, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You see, it's one thing to ask what somebody else needs to do. It's one thing to ask what your mama, your daddy, your brother, your sister, what they need to do, but what about what, what do I need to do? This young man wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. There are a lot of questions that you can ask in life today. This is by far and away the most profound question, and it is by far and away the most personal question. Because you see, eternity, when it's all said and done, when the smoke clears, that's what's most important about life. That's really what life is all about, making preparation for eternity. So we talk about this young man and we say, here's a guy that had everything. But there's a second thing I want you to see. This young man seemed to have everything. The flip side is this young man had nothing. You might ask the question, how do I know that? Well. First of all, I want to call attention to the compassion of Jesus. Now you have to understand that this young man has stood in the presence of Jesus. He's asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in the long ago, discusses the great commandments the response of this man, all of these things I've observed from my youth. The Bible says that Jesus looking at him loved him. There is a great lesson here. We talk about the compassion of Jesus. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they do not understand the great love of God, nor do they understand the love of Christ. 
If we miss the love that Jesus has for us, we miss everything. Jesus would say in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this than a man laid in his life for his friends. Whether you believe it or not, the Lord loves you. The Lord loved this young man. And I think the Lord loves everyone. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they feel unloved, they feel unlovable. And yet to know that God has loved us. Was it not true that Jesus said in John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Jesus came to demonstrate the love of God in bodily form. He manifested that love by going to the cross of Calvary. Throughout his ministry, Jesus talked about love and he demonstrated that love. He was compassionate. On many occasions, he reached out and touched, as we would say, the untouchable. So Jesus loved this man. But then, note if you would with me, the command of Jesus. In verse 21, Jesus, look at, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. A couple of things here. First of all, he was going to have to decommit to an old way of life. Imagine if you can, Jesus saying to you, I want you to sell out and give out. That's basically what he was saying. Jesus was telling this young man, I want you to sell out everything you have and then give it away. Can you imagine? We just said a minute ago that this man was wealthy. Luke tells us in his narrative of this particular account that he was very rich. This guy had lots of treasures in his storehouse. And so Jesus says to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go your way. I want you to sell everything you have and then distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Where are life's treasures? Where are your treasures? I read this past week about a friend of mine who was talking about his car being broken into. And he said, you know, it reminds me of a great principle. And that is, our treasures are not on this earth. But if you talk to a lot of people, and you get down to, as we say, the nitty-gritty, where are their real treasures? They're here on earth, aren't they? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. There's not anything wrong with wealth. Nothing wrong with money or material goods as long as we use those things and those things do not use us. We are to be stewards of that which we possess in this life. The problem for many is that the things of life tend to control and dictate how they live. And so this young man was basically told to decommit to an old way of life. And then what Jesus was saying is, you need to commit to a new way of life. 
How so? Well, listen to him, verse 21. After you have sold out and given out, I want you to, first of all, take up the cross. And then secondly, I want you to follow me. What's more important than following Jesus? Can you think of anything? Are your eyes today on the cross? Are you following Jesus? Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, if any man will come to me, let him first of all deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's the prerequisite to following the Son of God. A willingness to take up our cross and follow him. Now we talk about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven as opposed to treasures here on earth. The problem is sometimes our focus is not what it ought to be. We're not really and truly following Jesus. He's not the thrust of life. Did Jesus not say in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you? Did Paul not say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, that Christ, who is our life, shall appear? Are you following Jesus? Is he the thrust, the focus of your life? Now, as we think about the Messiah, his compassion and his command, I want you to now look, if you would, at this man. And note what is said in verse 22. Mark said, but he was sad at this word and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Luke said he went away very sorrowful, for he was very rich. I take it to mean that this man wasn't willing to do what Jesus asked him to do. In short, there was one thing that stood between him and the Lord. You know, sometimes we talk about what's standing between us and the Lord. And sometimes there, sometimes there are people that will say, well, there are a lot of things standing between me and obeying the gospel. Sometimes it's not a lot of things. Sometimes it's just one thing. In this man's life, it was just one thing. He was a good man. He observed the commandments that were revealed in the law. And yet Jesus said, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. He couldn't do it. One thing. One thing stood between him and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Is there one thing standing between you and the Lord today? I mean, if you were to sit down and to begin itemizing what is standing between you and the Lord, it might not be a litany of things. It might just be one thing. Would it be your family? Did you know that there are some people that because of family relations, they're just not willing to become a Christian? They're not willing to become a follower of Jesus? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not or love less his father and mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. I've known of some people that when they made the decision to become a child of God, they were literally ostracized from their family. Their family members turned their backs on them. Is that the one thing that would stand between you and the Lord? And then there are some that, if you were to ask them, what's the one thing standing between you and the Lord? They would say, well, I'm not willing to give up my friends. I can promise you that there are some people that when they made the decision to become a follower of the Lord, they knew there were some changes that had to take place. And one of the things that, one of the things that had to take place, they had to sever old faithful alliances. And by that I mean their friends. You see, you can't run with the devil's crowd and live a Christian life. Did Paul not say evil companionship corrupts good morals? Sometimes it's the people that we run with that bring us down. And sometimes in deciding whether or not we're gonna, we're, we're gonna become a Christian, a follower, a follower of Jesus, it comes down to am I willing to sever some long-standing relations? Am I willing to walk away from old friends? And then what about, what about the pleasures of the world? In Matthew 13, 22, Jesus talks about the seed falling into the heart of man. And he said, sometimes that seed does not germinate and bring forth fruit because the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. And he said it becomes unfruitful. All he is saying is that there are some people that the pleasures of the world, the world itself, stand between them and serving him. There are a lot of things that are encompassed in the world. There are a lot of things that, that people like to do that when you begin to look at scripture, it just don't add up. So would it be the pleasures of the world? Would it be a life in, as we say, the fast track? What about riches? Did you know that there are some people that have allowed money, materialism, to come between them and the Lord? Paul said, those that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare, and many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. He went on to say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. Nothing wrong with money, nor is there anything wrong with being wealthy, but if you allow those things to become a God, you got a problem. And so my question to you, is there one thing that would stand between you and the Lord. I would hope that none of us would allow anything to come between us and our relationship with Jesus. That's how important it is. You see, when it's all said and done, when life comes to a crashing halt, what's gonna be the most important thing? Is it gonna be my status in life? 
Is it going to be how much money I have in the bank? How much land I own? How many automobiles I have in the garage? Is it going to be all of the, the, the nice clothes that are hanging in my, in my closet? I mean, are those things really what's most important? What's most important, my relationship to God. Let, let me close by giving you an example of somebody that had it all. Not just this man, but I want to give you another example. The example of Solomon. Read Ecclesiastes. You want to talk about somebody that had everything? I mean, had everything to his heart's desire? And Solomon said, when he came to the conclusion of what life is all about, he said, here it is. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. In other words, this is what life's about. I would hope and pray that none of us would allow anything to come between us and our relationship to God. Let me, let me say this. If you're not a Christian, would you consider becoming one today? Is there any way that you would make that, that step of faith that leads to an obedient life? Did you know that Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins? If you believe Jesus is the son of God, you're well on your way. Would you be willing to repent? That is, to decommit to an old way of life, to give it up. There are some folks, maybe they don't, maybe they don't, they don't see the importance of repentance. Repentance is a change of heart reflected by a change in action or actions. And then there is confessing the name of Jesus before others. Jesus went on to say that we need to be baptized to be saved, Mark 16, 16. The reason we're baptized is because through baptism we contact the blood of Christ which washes away our sins, Acts 22, 16. Now maybe you've done that, but you're not living as you should. Some folks have committed decommitted, and now what they need to do is recommit. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you need to recommit your life to the Son of God. We talk about ending this year strong and beginning the new year right. Let me tell you what, you want to get a good start on the new year, here's what you need to do, come to Christ. Come this hour as we stand and sing.